to the WCI 3-in-1 podcast. We are recapping the Illinois basketball season. It's been five days now since they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament or round of 32. And here we are to break it all down in the season that was Brett Barons, Marley Weirda, and Andy Olson. And guys, we'll just start with this. As we look back, and you've had some time to digest, take in uh, several different people talking about the Illini loss, obviously to Loyola. It didn't end well. The season still as a whole was very, very good. So, Marley, how do you kind of put everything into context of where we are now and where they were to get to the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, it was a really tough loss for this team. I think they deserved to go out in a better way than they did. I think Ayodesumu deserved to play on the Final Four stage, so it's tough to see him and his college career on that note. And I think on Sunday when they lost, it was just, you know, a really somber mood surrounding the team and the coaches and, of course, the fan base. But I think now that we're a little bit removed from maybe the initial shock of the loss, I think their season as a whole, there's a lot to be said about their season and everything that they accomplished this year. Because in the moment, in the loss, I think, you know, a lot of us thought, oh my goodness, this is what this team is going to be remembered by, is this horrible loss in the NCAA tournament. And when it's fresh in your mind, of course, I mean, that's, you know, the most recent thing, the thing that's going to be freshest on your mind. But uh, they had a very successful season, and, you know, Brad Underwood even said that, you know, they can't overlook a Big Ten tournament championship just the third one in program history they can't overlook all of these boxes that they've checked off this season and and even you know last season as they were kind of on this road um to greatness but uh all things considered I mean it's still a tough way to to go out in the tournament but I think you know they really did have a great season and there's a lot to celebrate so don't be so heartbroken Illini fans I think there's a lot to to be happy about yeah we'll definitely want to break down a lot of elements of that as we go along here because I think so much of success for both teams and individual athletes is based on how you do in the postseason do you win championships are you able to get to a final four if that's what we're calling quote-unquote success and I, I think that in college basketball that is fair but Andy kind of thinking and taking all of what Marley said, how do you put into perspective of where this team was at, where they got to, and then the final ending in game? Well, you guys would know better than I over the last few years what this team was like. I, of course, this is my first season, like being this up close and personal with the team. So I don't guess it doesn't, I don't understand that closely the context of that 21 loss season. I'm sure I can look at the stats and say that's one of the worst seasons in program history, but you guys had to go through it. So, and I imagine for Atlanta fans, the way the way that they finished this season wasn't great, but the place where they are now is so much better than where they were two seasons ago. And I don't think people really had even thought that this was a possibility at that point. Yeah. Being a Final Four contender, a number one seed, of course it it is it stinks to you know go out in the round of thirty two. I think the committee got Loyola totally wrong, and I was saying this beforehand. You can ask Marley multiple occasions. <laughs> I said Loyola is not a team Illinois wants to see. Uh, but that's who you have to play. You have to play who's in front of you. And they just weren't able to get it done. And like we've said, it's not the way that they wanted the season to end. But in historical context, this team will always be known as a number one seed, as Big Ten tournament champions. The banner is going to go up in the State Farm Center. And fans, even though they weren't in the State Farm Center to see a lot of this season, will remember it 
being, I think, the turning point for this program under Brad Underwood. And Brad said that they've resurrected Illinois basketball in a sorts, mm-hmm. and I, I agree with you from 21 losses two years ago to where they are now. There is that. I think it's also okay for fans to be wanting more. Oh, yeah. To, to be in a position where, hey, this was great. Yes, they've got to this point. But when you look at the program as a whole, you only have so many opportunities. There's only so many chances to make hay, essentially, out of special seasons because Io DeSumo's don't come along that often. And it's all fine that they said these things in the postgame, and I was appreciative of Io to have the perspective that he did after losing to Loyola on Sunday. But it's not just that they lost that was, I think, most disappointing. It's how they lost. They weren't in that game essentially from the start. Going down 9-2, I realized they cut it to 9 at halftime, but did you really feel like it was that close even at halftime? Because I felt like Cameron Crutwig absolutely dominated, dominated that game. Lucas Williamson, I thought, had a great game. And they had a game plan that was executed to a T to outcoach Illinois. And you could tell they just wanted it more. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what makes all of this sit so uneasy with the fan base. Because this was supposed to be the team. And I don't take a lot of stock into the fans saying or you know anyone. And I've had a bunch of people text me, okay, Loyola was underseated. I don't care. Like mm-hmm. That doesn't matter to me. Because mm-hmm. when your destination is ultimately the Final Four, you were going to have to play them anyway if they were in your bracket. No matter if they were an eight seed or a four seed or a five seed, to get to where Illinois felt like it wanted to go and where they had talked about going all year, it doesn't matter. Like to me, that that doesn't that's not even in my frame of reference because it's like it was final four or bust for this team, essentially. Right? Is that how yeah. you guys felt? So I mean, who cares that you lost in the second does it matter if you lost in the Elite Eight or the second round? Like I get that it does to an extent, but at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter because you still would have played them. Yeah, and I think that's what makes the sting a little bit worse because this is a team that had so much potential. And of all the teams that you know have ever played in Illinois history, this was the team that was going to go to a Final Four. And a lot of people had, had invested in that. The team said that that was, was their goal. And I think at the start of the game, you know, the 9-2 run, I was worried at that point because there's been a couple things all year that – you know, other teams have taken advantage of or just that's been, you know, the biggest shortcoming of this Illini team. And I think one of them has been slow starts and they've struggled to to overcome that in some cases. Um, I mean, I look back to the Northwestern game. I mean, that was a totally unique situation where they started the first half terribly, went into halftime and they had the best, you know, second half of, of their season. But especially with this Loyola team, I wasn't, you know, confident in the Illini coming out of halftime because it was really impossible for them to get a run started. And I think that's a huge credit to Loyola and, you know, what they were able to do as far as executing their game plan because they really just suffocated this Illinois team and made them, you know, it made it impossible for them to get anything going. And I think it, you know, probably comes down to, to Brad Underwood and, and the coaching staff because, you know, the players can only do so much if they're put in a in whatever position they, they might be. And I think, you know, some coaching adjustments needed to be made and, and you know, they, they didn't work clearly. So I, I can imagine the coaches are probably taking this one quite hard. <laughs> yeah, I could go on and on about uh, Loyola and my own personal disdain for them uh, <laughs> as as an Illinois State grad. Uh, but I kind of want to push back against the 
idea that, you know, this can't happen every year for this Illinois team. I think maybe fans are used to where they have been in the past. And to me, what Brad Underwood has shown is that he wants to build this to a place where they can be like a Syracuse or they can be, I don't want to say like a blue blood like Kansas or Kentucky or North Carolina, Duke, whatever. But he wants to be able to put them in a place where they're making the tournament every single year. And while they may not have Io DeSumo's, he clearly imagines this as a place that can be there every year, that can compete every year, that can win Big Ten tournament titles every year. And I know that's not the way that, you know, Illinois basketball has gone. It's been it it's it takes sixteen years to go between number one seeds, it seems like. Uh but I, I think this is the first step to that. And we've seen it in college basketball all year long that experience has been the great equalizer between these programs. Your Dukes and your Kentuckys don't make the NCAA tournament because they rely on high schoolers to come in, play really well as freshmen, and then make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Tournament. When you have COVID and then those experienced guys from last year coming back for an extra year they probably would not have, then you start to see them catch up with those Blue Blood programs. And you can tell that experience was clearly the equalizer against Illinois and Loyola. If it seemed like Illinois was more talented on paper – Loyola had the experience of being in a Final Four four years ago. Porter Mosier knows what it takes to get to that point. He knows how to coach defense and defense that will take down these really talented programs, which is what he proved on Sunday. I'm going back. and losing track of my days. It was Sunday. (laughs) Uh, But when you have that kind of experience, your Cameron Crutwig, your senior center who was there as a freshman, you saw that Illinois had not been on this stage before. We talked about coming into the postseason that Jacob Grandison – had four starts with Holy Cross um, in the Colonial Conference Tournament. And that was the most postseason experience anyone on this team had had. They had never played an NCAA tournament. Actually, I believe Tyler Underwood may have played in an NCAA tournament game he was at Oklahoma roster, State. He didn't play. Exactly. <laughs> so they didn't have this kind of experience on that stage. And in a year that's weirder than any other, I think that's what came out on top, the way that Loyola – knew how to take down talented teams and play against them and just being able to know how to play on that stage and and beat Illinois. Yeah, I agree, because Lucas Williamson was also on that team, Mm -hmm. and I could tell that experience of just being there helped them. They seemed calm and collected, and I asked a few people uh, at the game, did Illinois seem pressing? Like, did they seem like the moment was too big? And I don't know if I got that sense. I just thought that... Loyola executed so much better than Illinois did. Their mm-hmm. game plan was that much better. And not only was the game plan that, but then they went out and did it. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much to be said about yeah. that. That they forced Illinois into doing things that it didn't want to do. And to me, that was most impressive. And so, like, look, did I want to cover a Final Four? And did we want to continue this run and everything else? Yes, absolutely. But I give a whole ton of credit. And I know this isn't what <laughs> Line of Nation wants to hear. But, like, just trying to have a, an unbiased opinion here you got to give Loyola a ton of credit for going out and doing what it mm-hmm. did. Now, on the other side of that spectrum, it's also why didn't Illinois make adjustments or do things that try, just try something different? And I asked Brad Underwood about that specifically after the game. What adjustments did you make and why didn't they work? And he said they tried everything and threw the book at him essentially. And like, look, we can nitty-grit here. I don't think that matters anymore about that. I would have loved to have seen them press a lot earlier to just mm-hmm. – do something drastically different because it wasn't working whatever they were trying yeah and you got to force them out of their comfort zone and it reminded me almost of these john gross teams in 2015 16 and 17 
where I just felt like under Gross, they played whatever the other team was doing. What's Illinois' identity? That, to me, is what worked so well this year, is that Illinois had an identity. It was Kofi. It was Io. It was getting out guards, rebounding in transition, pushing the pace, getting up and down the court, scoring in seven seconds. When they did all of those things and really identified the team as this was Kofi, we're going to establish the post, then we're going to work outside, then we're going to get up and move a little bit in transition. They were really, really good, but they just allow Loyola to slow down the game, season low in points. And two Loyola, fast break isn't that points crazy? I mean, like for a team two fast break points. Yeah, that, I mean they were previously averaging like fourteen right. per game, and but that tells me that Loyola did exactly what it wanted to do, right? Which is super impressive in that you got to give Porter Moser a ton of credit for that. That he was able to get his guys to buy in that this is how they're going to win the game. And then they went out and did it against a really, really good Illinois team. And I, I don't know how you feel, Marley, about just that slow tempo type of pace. But especially there, there was probably 10 minutes left in the game. And I was like, Illinois is not winning this game. Yeah. Because they continued to just ice the shot clock every time down. And they were able to score in those late possessions or draw fouls. Yeah. Like, And I was like, Illinois is not winning. And I mean, I, I, mean, I go back to what I said earlier about the... 9-2 run that Loyola started the game with. That was the point where I was like, okay, you know what? They're going to give Illinois a run for their money here. But as I'm kind of reflecting on it, thinking, you know, maybe, I mean, it's it's certainly a tough way to go out, but wouldn't you almost rather it this way than if it was on some, like, crazy, you know, buzzer beater? They almost just kind of got beat fair and square in a sense of Loyola executing the game plan, doing yeah. it. It was just one team that Loyola you know, was, was better. better. Exactly. There's no argument on Sunday. Now, do I think if Loyola and Illinois play 10 times, I think, I think Illinois probably wins six or seven, you know, Andy shaking his head here. Uh, I, I, I so. really, I really think Loyola, <laughs> if it's, if it's not 50, 50 split, I think Illinois probably wins six out of seven times. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. If you put them on a neutral court, and this year's team, I, I you know I think that Illinois is, is the better team, but they weren't on Sunday, and I understand why that's so tough for a line of nation to swallow. That Loyola proved it's the best team in the state on that day. You know, the Illinois had a generational team here, and yet they weren't even the best team in the state. Yeah, that's tough. Lo- Loyola, I think. Why I hesitate to say that Illinois would win six to seven, I do agree. Loyola, Illinois. Six or uh, seven out six of Six or ten. seven out of ten, yes. Yeah. I agree that Illinois on, on paper is so much more talented than Loyola. They have pure scorers. 100%. But what Loyola does so well is being able to just n- negate that talent by the way that they're able to play defense. Right, it's and a it, system. Exactly. The yeah. system that Porter Mosier has there is so, so, so solid. So I don't know how he gets that out of his guys. I'm I was studying up on it before the game uh, just because I knew that Loyola was really good. They're a top 25 team. They were in the last eight people. Seven in Kinpom. Exactly. Like, Like, the the team is really good. And just the way that he's able to teach his guys to have fast hands, uh, because you saw so many different times where they would just reach in and they'd be able to get the ball from Illinois. The turnovers were an issue for Illinois. I think that's really the only place where they were bad. Illinois didn't play bad in that game, but Loyola was just better and was able to stop them more often. 17 turnovers. 17 turnovers. Right. They forced Illinois to do exactly. they didn't want to do and it wasn't comfortable. Exactly. And the way that they're able to build that wall in transition where they're getting back on defense. Loyola, is, I think, is just a team that's built to stop teams like Illinois. 
And, you know, I think that's why I hesitate on these six or seven times out of 10 Illinois would win. I think Loyola just has the system that Illinois, with the team as it's built right now, isn't able to beat. Right. So Wisconsin beats Loyola by like 14 earlier yeah. this year, right? But those are two similar systems. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a perfect clash here. Wisconsin wants to slow teams down. You know, it's the same kind of identity in that. And so I, I look at those, and, and I hope people didn't look at that Wisconsin game and say, oh, well, Illinois beat Wisconsin twice and by double digits, blah, blah, blah. This should be a, a pushover game in a sense. But, you know, that this was two contrasting styles, and Loyola played it a whole lot better. As for Kofi, I think they he still had a game-high 21 points. I thought Cameron Crutwig had a better game, though, than Kofi. I thought he really yeah. uh, dominated the game in that sense. And, and the he was like wide open a lot of time. Right, but that's by design, right? Yeah. Like they they forced Kofi outside the box and I understand Crutwick only had only had 19 points, 12 rebounds, but if you're just looking at stats, you may say okay, they're about even. I thought Crutwick was far better than Kofi in that sense. Yeah, the the way that he was able to get open and then also distribute, I think is why he, he seems so much better. He has far better hands and footwork. When yeah. I was watching yeah. the game, I said Cameron Crutwick's footwork is is way better than Kofi's. Mm-hmm. And that allows him to get open and Kofi really struggled in ball screens, I thought. And that mm-hmm. that exposed him definitely <laughs> when they put Kofi in a ball screen, the top of the key, and he had to make a choice. Kofi really struggled with that, I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you combine that with Io only scoring nine points, the first time in forty three games he doesn't put up double figures, right? That was leading the nation. And Trent has an off game and goes one for ten, doesn't score his first field goal until thirty minutes into the game. Now all of a sudden you're in trouble. I thought Andre played pretty well overall. He has frustrating moments. You know, but I thought Curbelo gave you a chance to win. I thought he was a net plus with nine points and seven rebounds. Does have four turnovers. But at half when Io has four points and four turnovers, you're going, are they going to wake up? Like this is a Sunday morning 11 a.m. type of thing where you're going, they're not here to play. Like they're not ready. How are you And maybe that's something to consider. Maybe this isn't a morning team. Maybe. No, I know. I know. Not be ready. I mean, this is the NCAA tournament. I agree. And when Io has more turnovers than buckets, I mean, it's been an issue with, you know, Io and Curbelo, you know, to have maybe more turnovers than assist. I think that's, you know, pretty normal. But to have more turnovers than field goals. I, I'm i interested to know what you guys think of this. It seemed to me watching the game, and I know we keep talking about Loyola's defense. I'm sure we won't keep talking about it. But it was incredible to me to see Loyola double-team and, and, and double-team Io and then crash down on Kofi, but it never seemed like anyone was left open for Illinois. Yeah. It seemed like they were everywhere on the court. They Kofi would get the ball down low, and he'd have three or four guys on him. And then the few times that he did pass it out, nobody was open to, to take a shot. And I, I think that just speaks to how yeah. good that scheme is from Porter Mosier. Yeah, that's why it's, it's like, it was suffocating. That's right. Like, it, it was frustrating to watch. Yeah. But it was also impressive in my eyes because mm. it's like, man, this is a team. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Illinois looked like the – just a couple of talented guys, and you see that in the NCAA tournament a lot. Teams win, experience wins. And like mm-hmm. you mentioned, Andy, they don't have that postseason experience. And where's that uh-oh point where you're like, oh, man, this, is, this isn't going well. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, I'm sure they had that at some point, but it was like, whoa, this, this is not going to end well. And it's ironic today, 16 years ago today, Illinois has that double-digit comeback win over Arizona 2005 that propels them onto the Final Four, right? 
they they were going to need that, but I got mm-hmm. the sense that they weren't getting that. Like yeah. there there was no Arizona repeat in this from 05 where those magical butterflies are going and you're thinking they're going to win this game type of thing and force overtime and here they are and they beat Arizona and they're on to the final four. It was like that wasn't coming. Yeah. No. They would have needed like five straight from behind the arc to get to that point. Yeah, and, and they couldn't. That was the happen. issue is they could not get a run going. And maybe mm-hmm. it's, you know, the way that they ended the regular season. I mean, it was incredible. Like they played incredible in the Big Ten tournament. They played incredible the last, you know, three or so games of the season without maybe really facing any kind of, you know, big adversity where they needed, you know, a big comeback because they just completely dominated after they had lost to Michigan State and went on that run at the end of the season, doing a couple games without Io. Um, you know, I think they were on a high and maybe just never realized how to how to dig themselves out of a hole, which they had to do, you know, earlier in the season and they couldn't find a way to get it done on the biggest stage possible. And that parlays us right into the season as a whole and trying to look back on this and how we will remember this team because they were playing. I thought they were the best team in the country. Obviously mm-hmm. Gonzaga's undefeated and they're gonna have that title, so to speak. But for the wins that Illinois had in that fifteen wins in sixteen games, like twelve against thirteen, fourteen, whatever it was against quad one teams and, and high major opponents obviously they're all big 10 games um other than the drexel win but it's like this team in my eyes was the hottest team in the country they had proven that and yet when it comes to a game against loyola they couldn't get it done and i think that will be forever remembered and and Illini fans are going to have these you know conjure up these thoughts of 1987 when they lose to austin p in the first round you know, and, and all of these heartbreaks along the way in the NCAA tournament where you, you're asking what if, but it's like it's, the unfortunate reality is that so many teams and players are defined by what you do in the postseason. And so I asked a couple people this as well, and I want to pose this to you guys. Does winning the Big Ten tournament ease the pain of not getting past the first weekend in the NCAA tournament? How does that shape the viewpoint of this team historically? Yeah, I say maybe like I I was going to say, yeah, 100 percent, (laughs) but not so much. But I think being there and seeing just that high of the team and them getting to celebrate. I mean, that's an incredible moment for any athlete and coach to experience. And I think at the end of the day, you know, when these guys are like 60 years old, you know, thinking back to their college careers, they're going to remember that moment holding up that trophy in um the Big Ten, you know, tournament championship. And I think back to, you know, like my own career, like we went to the final four and I don't, I can't even remember like how we lost that game really. Like I, it's, it's a blur to me, but I do remember like getting to that point, the game before and getting to the final four. So I think in the grand scheme of things, you look back on, on the positives and you remember some of the best moments. And I think for them to, to be so close is heartbreaking but at the end of the day i think you know a big 10 tournament title is still so much to to accomplish for this team yeah right now does that help no clearly (laughs) but historically i said it before but i think that this season will be the turning point for the illinois program under brad underwood it's the first time that they made the ncaa tournament under brad And I think that will serve as really good experience for the team that will be back. We don't know if Kofi's going to be back. We don't know 
possibly about the seniors that have the ability to come back. But let's say for like for sure they'll be gone. Um, Kofi, like I said, Kofi's a 50-50. Io's not going to be back. He's going to be in the NBA. Um, but we already talked. You already talked about Andre Curbelo having a pretty good game against Loyola. I thought Adam Miller had a really good game as well. And I just think about how this game experience, how this will affect those two's future with the program. I think when they look back at this game as a learning experience, I think that's going to matter so much more the next time that Illinois is in the NCAA tournament. Because they've been there, they faced a team that seemed unbeatable on the day, and they learned from it. I'm sure they're going to go back to the tape and they're going to see how they could have beat them. And that's going to matter a lot in the long haul. So when you look back at this historically, I hope for the sake of fans that this is the first part, the first chapter of a, a long run of success under Underwood. And I think with the way that he has the program set up, it's definitely a possibility. And that's yet to be seen here. We'll have mm-hmm. to figure out what they do in recruiting. And obviously the mm-hmm. Kofi decision, we can chat yeah. about that coming up here, it certainly plays big time into what this team looks like next year and beyond and whether he decides to come back for a junior season. But I'm under the mindset just as of now, the Big Ten title eases, or at least it should, the pain of you know not making it past the first weekend once again. I mean, this team has not been past and end of the Sweet 16 since 05. Like, it's been a long mm-hmm. time, you know, when you have some games in there in the NCAA tournament that I'm sure that this program would like back. A loss to Western Kentucky when they were the five seed. Uh, Western Kentucky was the 12 in 2009. Uh, Illinois was the 12 in 2007. Lost to Virginia Tech. Uh, lost in 11. That was still Bruce Weber's team. Second round to Kansas. And then in 13 in Gross's first year, they lost to Miami and, and what the Illinois rule was in reviewing a deflected ball out of, you know, into the um, is, is reviewable play. And it is now, but that was because of Illinois and the loss to Miami there. So that, and that's it. Like you go back to that other than 2006, when they lost to Washington, they were a three seed. Washington was a five and, and that's the NCAA tournament experience dating back to 2005. There's really not that much there overall. And they still haven't made it past that first weekend. Now there's, there's no Big Ten titles in there either. So, like, that's where this team distinguishes distinguishes itself, and they will raise that banner, as Marley mentioned. They will get rings for winning the Big Ten tournament, and that's all great. And historically, yes, this will be that if and if Underwood and his staff can parlay this success into recruiting wins into the future. And that's why Brad had to be upbeat in the postgame press conference, in my eyes, because mm-hmm. he, had, he was already selling what's next and what's next is ultimately more important yes to get to the stage is super important for Underwood and his tenure here and and trying to develop the culture and the success and the expectation that Illinois is in the NCAA tournament every year because that's what it was in the 80s and somewhat late 90s and 2000s especially Illinois was in the NCAA Mm -hmm. tournament every year I mean fans could count on that especially in the 80s under Henson and then once Kruger came here and Happy retirement to Lon Kruger. Enjoy the <laughs> enjoy the retirement out there. I saw he bought a three million dollar house in Vegas. Go for it. Oh. Nice. Sounds great. You can watch his son coach in the uh, for UNLV. And interesting enough, his son played at Centennial here when Kruger was the coach. No so there you go. A little running fun, rebels. Fun you, you still have his you. phone number? Maybe we can get the invite to the <laughs> house in in Vegas. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have that anymore. Although I did interview Lon this summer for the Lou Henson special. Okay. Did. Lon was very nice. I never worked with him, obviously here, but I was. Just a youngster back then, watching Just the Illini games. Uh, but he was very gracious with his time to spend a couple of minutes with me this summer to remember Lou. But 
you know, that was the expectation. Illinois was in the NCAA tournament, especially after Kruger left and Bill Self came in in the early 2000s, and they won back-to-back Big Ten titles, and they were rolling. And then all of a sudden, after 05 and 06, it just goes downhill, and it wasn't the same. But it wasn't the same because Bruce Weber couldn't take the talent and take it to the next level to get in that talent, to parlay the success on the court to the recruiting wins. And that goes back to Eric Gordon and all of that, and we could go on a rabbit hole through through all of that of, of why it didn't work at Illinois. But that's why it's so important now for Brad Underwood to sell, yes, Illinois is back. We revitalized the program. We're here. Yes, Io's gone, and who knows about Kofi, but we are looking forward, and we are on the up here because he has to go get those next recruits to prove that Illinois will be that and will be that sustained. And that's why I don't want to be a college coach because there's always the pressure there of who's next. It's never enjoying the now. It's always about the who's next, even 10 minutes after losing and getting upset in the NCAA tournament to Loyola. All right, let's talk about Kofi because I've been asked that more times than I can count (laughs) the last week. Is Kofi coming back? Look, I have no idea if Kofi's coming back. If I had to put a number on it, I would probably handicap it at best 50-50 right now. I don't even know if Kofi knows what he's what he's going to do. Should he test the process? Yes. Should he get more feedback? Yes, absolutely. Does the Cameron Crutwig played better than me and he's in the Missouri Valley conversation? Well, no, hold on. Don't talk hey, about the Missouri Valley <laughs> like right. that. But that should not be comparable. If Kofi is an NBA player, Cameron Crutwig is not, right? I think we both know that. He, Cameron Crutwig is not going to play in the NBA. Seems like a nice kid, nice mustache. You know, Very nice he mustache. can play in Europe. Okay, and he's not buying the mustache. <laughs> he can have a long, successful pro career overseas probably somewhere, right? But Cameron Crowe is not an NBA player. If Kofi thinks he's an NBA player, which he does, then you you got you got outplayed by Cameron Crutwig, right? So I, I don't know where that lies. How do you handicap it, Marley, about the Kofi decision yeah. and how that will play out. It's tough because I think he threw us all for a loop last year when he declared for the draft. Before we, Io. Before Io. Yeah, we all expected <laughs> Io to go. And when Kofi announces this, we're like, uh, oh, okay. We thought at least, you know, he had another year under right. his belt. Um, so that, in my mind, makes me think, okay, if he did it last year when he surprised us all, he probably is likely to do it again this year. But I think even like, you know, like you exploited you you talked about how some of his weaknesses were exploited uh, against Loyola and and the ball screens. You know, he he's shown that that he he struggles with a couple things. And everyone wants to talk about you know Io and and where this team would be without him. But I think where would this team be without Kofi? You know, they never had to play without Kofi on the court. Sure, there's been times when he was in you know foul trouble or something like that. But Kofi's never really been like on the bench for a game. Um, so I think, you know, Brad Underwood would love to have him back with the program. I think um, he could maybe use another year, but, you know, I wouldn't fault a kid for going to, to get money and, and play professionally if you if you certainly have the chance to do so. But even when I look in the NBA, I mean, guys like him, I feel like, aren't really playing in the NBA anymore. You know, he almost missed his window by, like, 10 years or so yeah, 20 when, years like, ago he's a no doubt top 10 pick for sure with like the Shaquille O'Neal right. era you know they're looking more for guys like Io so um I'm not I don't remember what kind of feedback he said that he got you know last year when he declared um but who knows I think you know it'd be great to have him back again next season but could go either way <laughs> yeah if you had if you ask me is Kofi ready for the NBA the answer is no 
I mm-hmm. still think that he's really raw. He's only been playing basketball for half a decade. But would he make an NBA roster? Absolutely. He would because teams see the ability that he has. Would he go in the first round? Probably not. I mean, Io, if you look at mock drafts, is like that fringe first round, which yeah. is unbelievable. I mean, I think, I think Io's going to be a first rounder. Oh, absolutely. I think he's a lottery pick. But of course, yeah. one of the reasons that people are fringe about him is because the older you are in the NBA draft, the less likely you are to be drafted high. So Kofi, right. of course, has to take that into account. Would he get? Would the amount he gets better uh, be more than? you know, the fact that he would drop some spots because he's older by a year in the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. He's going to get drafted eventually. Well, think about, like, Luka Garza. I mean, he's yeah. a four-year player, but he's still... I don't know if he's going to... Yeah, I don't think he's going to get drafted. I don't think so either. You don't think? No. no I don't, really? No, I don't think so. He's He has a great overseas career ahead of him, I think. I don't think Luka's skills translate to the NBA. Kofi's skills could, oh. but do I think that he has enough of those skills yet to be a first-round pick? Probably not. No, because so, he's, he's a role player in the NBA at best. Exactly. Which is fine, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. And that's money. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Like some, just to even get to the next level sure. oh, yeah. is... <laughs> and Kofi's going to play professionally somewhere. Like, yeah. we, we know that much. Just if he wants to play in the NBA, you have to figure out when is the best time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I'm with you, Brett, that I think it's 50-50. He just has to weigh that... Do I want to leverage my youth now and maybe a team will take a chance on me? I can learn while I'm there. Or does he want to come back and work on those skills and maybe uh, teams would would think of his ability better after right. that next And that's year. what makes Garza so unique is that he mm-hmm. came back. Oh, yeah. I read an article from somebody over covering Iowa that Luca turned down a seven-figure deal to play in Europe to come back to Iowa. And he gets his jersey hung in the Raptors and retired mm-hmm. on his senior night. You know, like, there's something to be said for that. And Iowa, in a sense, did that as well, mm-hmm. coming back and, and passing on what he probably mm-hmm. could have been drafted mid to late second round last year. I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this year he punched his ticket into a first-round draft pick, averaging 20 points a game and doing what he did and, and improving that. He shot 39% from three last year. That's 10 percentage points higher than he shot last year from three. You know, he, he has a mid-range game. I think he has a role as well in the NBA. Is Io going to be a star? I don't think so. But Io can play a, and have an 8, 9, 10-year career in the NBA with his attitude, defensive abilities, and mindset that he can buy into a role. And I think he's going to be of that fringe lottery first-round pick. I would say probably around 20 to 25 would be my guess out of that. But Kofi's got to decide what's best for him personally mm-hmm. as well. You know, does he want to go make some money and – you know, do whatever he has to do for himself and his family. You know, he's older already, so how does that weigh into that? You know, he's he's going to be a junior in class size, but he's a, he's a year older than that. He's already 21. He's going to be 22. You know, you've got to weigh all of those things. How much does he want to be in school? I, I can't, we can't answer any of these things. These are all things he has to decide for himself. But it certainly has a big, you know, decision in terms of Brad Underwood because – Underwood wants to know today if he's got another scholarship with DeMonte and Trent. Obviously, Io's gone, and then Kofi. You know That's going to be a big roster construction there and, and mm-hmm. makeup of what he has to do. I, I wouldn't expect the process to play out as long as it did last year. Remember, it was like July 31st and then August yeah. 1st, back-to-back days right. where they announced that they were um, both coming back. I don't think it'll play out that long, but Underwood wants to know now. He obviously wants what's best for his players, and he's always going to say that, right? And he, and he, it helps because he knows Io's gone. 
But also, he's got to be somewhat selfish in this sense, saying, look, I got to figure out if I got Kofi back, that's great. I think Kofi is the preseason national player of the year if he comes back. Really? I do, because who else is going to be on that first team list that mm-hmm. that is coming back? There's not anybody. Cade Cunningham is gone. Io is gone. Kispert is gone. Luca has gone. Io is there as well on the second team. Mm-hmm. I, I think he has a path, and especially with name, image, and likeness, if they can sell him on that, that you can make money here at Illinois with your name. Well, that's the thing. How quick is that going to happen? And that's right? the unknown in, in yeah. there as well. But I think he has a path here to come back and still have success. And if he's certainly going to be a preseason first-team All-American yes. right? if he mm-hmm. comes back. And I think we can make the argument, too, that he was, in a sense, more valuable than Io. Yeah. And that, to, that's to what Illinois. I said right. earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he can make that sense. And I know a lot of people would probably push back on that and say, well, I was the best player. I agree. But there's nobody like Kofi right in the country mm-hmm. in that sense. So, like, I think if he comes back, I think he has a case to be the preseason national player of the year. That holds value. That holds weight in that sense as well. But nobody knows what he really wants. We will have to wait and see. I know fans don't want to have to wait, but – that's what's going to happen. Like I, like Marley said, I think he he will probably test the waters again. Mm-hmm. If I, if, I mean, it makes the most sense that he would try and see how teams value him, and then that's going to help make him make his decision for him. Right, and I would assume we're going to have some workouts. We didn't have any of those yep. last year with teams where they can you know fly them or whatever and figure that out. Um, I don't know, but it is going to be a big time decision in terms of what they come back. Overall. Whether Kofi comes back or not, they're going to get a transfer somewhere, right? I, f- I feel like they're going to they're going to still bring in some players next year. Whether that's, I feel like the high school thing's probably out of question now. I I would assume they're going to get another transfer. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen with um, Austin Hutcherson if he's going to come back or not. Right, with his back. Mm-hmm. There's another scholarship tied up there. Obviously, he's got to figure out with Trent and Demonte what their plans are. Real quick, do you think they come back? I'm going to say no. Trent and yeah. DeMonte. I could see maybe because I, I think Trent could probably go overseas and, and have yeah. a, a career in Europe or wherever he decides. DeMonte, not so much. So maybe he'll want to come back and, and improve his, his stock. I think both of them are gone. But if I was to say one over another, I think maybe DeMonte would be more likely to come back over okay, you see Trent. anybody coming back? That's my same opinion. I think yeah. DeMonte, I think DeMonte will, but I think Trent is a starter in one of the top leagues in Europe right now. And that's not to say DeMonte can't play overseas. Sure. I just think Trent has the ability to impact someone right now. Yeah, I, I don't think either of them come back. I, yeah. I think they're both gone. And I think, like, you know, you put in your four years, you know, like at some point you want to move on. And, and I was ready to move life. on after college, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where some people get lost in that sense, too. Like, there's more to it than just playing college basketball. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all the workouts. It's all the schooling they got to do. Even if you're in grad school, it's still schoolwork. Yeah. I didn't want to be in school any longer than mm-hmm. that. You know, there's the, there's a human element here too that I feel like we lose sight of sometimes. Yeah. We just look at them as robots and say, oh yeah, why wouldn't you want to come back type of thing, right? There's yeah. so much more that plays mm-hmm. into that that they have to figure out on their own. Yeah, and especially if they have to go through as strict of a season as they did without you know, seeing anyone or mm-hmm. not being able to do right. anything outside of basketball. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. And if you're kind of on your way out and you don't have to go through it again, I mean, I'm lucky. I'm, you know, count my blessings every day that I <laughs> got to play sports and didn't have to deal with all of this. So I'm kind of like, all right, yeah, but you, you know, got to be hundred percent bought in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you're not a hundred percent bought in, then you shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in anything with that, I mean, anything in life, obviously, but like, especially with a D one athlete, there's just, there's so much into that. It doesn't matter if you're D one, D two, D three, whatever, like, even JUCO, like you, you, if you're gonna find success, you have to yeah. be bought into it, 
all the time. So we'll see. I don't know. I think they're still going to be fine next year. I'm encouraged by Andre Corbello and what he was able to do. Mm-hmm. If I would have told you guys he was going to be the sixth man of the year in the Big Ten at the beginning of the year, nobody no would have believed that. No. I was expecting Adam Miller to shine way brighter than Andre. And he wasn't even on the all-freshman team. Right. But I think there's a pathway for Adam Miller there as well to mm-hmm. be a superstar on this team mm-hmm. next year if he embraces that and, and really yeah. uh, develops some of his game more. So I I think they're going to be fine. I don't know how you guys feel about next year, regardless of whether they have Kofi back or not. Yeah, and I I think they maybe need to hit the transfer market. You know, they need to hit a big-time transfer. Because, yeah, they could get another, you know, no offense to Jacob Grandison. I mean, he's, you know, been a big role for this team. But I think they need, you know, a a big player, not, you know, an IO caliber player, but maybe just somebody of high level, maybe somebody with a little bit of experience, like a grad transfer. And I think they'll be set. But yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of promise, especially with Andre and Adam, as we mentioned. And I think, you know, maybe we could see the, the upclimb of Georgie again. I mean, he had a great freshman year. Maybe if Kofi doesn't come back, um, we can see a little bit more from Georgie because he's shown that he, he struggled playing in that shadow or just playing with Kofi on the court in that sense. So maybe we'll get back to, to freshman year Georgie a little bit. Yeah, I think you can lock in Grandison at the four, Adam at the two or the three and Corbello at the one next season. But if they can pull in somebody like uh, Naomi Burnett to possibly come in mm-hmm. and fill that two or three role, uh, Kofi coming back in the five would be huge. I think Luke Goody, the freshman coming in, is going to be really important off the bench. Having a kid that's six seven and is so good from three was something that this team was missing. Yeah. You have Grandison who kind of fills that role, but you think about your your – people who can hit from behind the arc it's Demonte Williams and Trent Frazier who are both you know under 6-3 yeah they need to add length exactly they need to add more three-point shooting yeah and that the way that Goody's able to do both of those things I think can be really important for the team coming off the bench next year Melendez you know I think could probably see time um coming off the bench as well and then you have Bashan Shvili we have Coleman Hawkins I shouldn't say weeds they have (laughs) Coleman Hawkins um so there's a lot of talent to go around in the same and then you talk about Hutcherson possibly coming back, you know, from his back injury. That'd be interesting to see if he's available. So there's a lot going on, and I think the team should be fine. And like I was saying before, I think under Brad Underwood, this team should make the NCAA tournament every year. What if they got Jacob Young from Rutgers? Yeah, that's his name, <laughs> his name on the portal. There's like 800. It, yeah, the transfer yeah, portal right is busier than. Grow. I expect that to be 12, 13, 1400 guys, yeah. right? Because everyone has this quote unquote free year or whatever. Just mm-hmm. go have some fun, right? Go wherever you want to go. Agency. <laughs> I would expect them, if Kofi doesn't come back, they're going to get a grad transfer five or a transfer five, mm-hmm. especially with this free agency, as you mentioned. If there's no mm-hmm. sit out rule, which I expect that will pass and that, that will be the case, they're going to get a five if Kofi doesn't come back to supplement Georgie into that. I, I think they need another four. Uh, they yeah. they need another guy because yeah. Grandison's natural position isn't the four, it's the three. They need a four to come in and be a high-impact guy. We talked about this plenty of times in the past, but can you imagine what this Illinois team would have been with EJ Liddell? Yeah. Right? Like they would have been a no-doubt national title contender. And it's funny because he the plays the five for Ohio State. Like right, and he would have come in. More than a four, oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 He would have come in and played the four so, for Illinois. You know, their Ohio State was really good with Kyle Young and and EJ Liddell at the four and five, right? So, like, man, they need, and, and I'm not saying they need EJ Liddell, but like, they need a player like that at the four. That's something mm-hmm. Illinois has not had in a really, really long time. A guy that can stretch out the court 
and also defend, you know, and, and do some things and be so versatile at the four. So I think the the minimum transfers they get is two. I could see it mm-hmm. even being three or four at that yeah. sense um, because they need an infusion in that. I love the base talent of where they're at with Carbello and Miller, but I think they need more. And, and I mm-hmm. think that I fully expect them to get at least two. That That would be my low bar on that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, especially if, like you said, Kofi doesn't come back. Then you need someone to, then to I be think that it's five. Three. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in that sense. Crutwig, maybe? Wants to come back for year five, <laughs> right. stay in the state? That would be interesting. That'd be crazy. We'll see. But Namar Burnett's my number one on that yeah. target. I saw him at uh, EYBL a couple of years ago. He was the best player that I saw in Indianapolis that day. Yeah. Just an outstanding talent. But he's we'll more of like a one-two, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's a two-guard, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think they could use another one of those as well because I think they need more shooting and they need yeah. more length. Those yeah. are my two areas where I say this team has to get longer and they need they need to get more shooting to be successful next year. Yeah, Burnett would slot really well into the team. And I know that Illinois is in his top five, I believe. In his DMs. In his D- oh, I'm sure they're in his DMs as well. Yeah, right. Uh, but let's see. Does he want to pair back up with Adam Miller? Chicago kids. Was he know. an Illinois recruit? Did He's they try to? Chicago okay. Originally. Yeah. Then he went out uh, and played with Coleman Hawkins at Prolific yep. Prep. All right. It sounds like a nice little, <laughs> little oh, cocktail of brewing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see what happens. I don't know. And then there's there's obviously other guys that oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're in pursuit of or whatever in that transfer portal. I, yeah. I just kind of imagine that every day when they come into the office over at the over at Ubbin, you know, they like scour the portal and they're like, "Ooh, who else do we yeah. have here today?" Well, they have yeah. just been hopping in hot and fresh in the in the transfer portal recently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, weren't they trying to get Shondi Brown yeah. last season? And yeah, he it was went between to... Michigan and, and Illinois yeah. for Shondi Brown. And I Man, think imagine if they had him as well there that you know they just missed on. So yeah. it's like, yeah, they they've been trying, you know, and you got to take the right piece, and that's the mm-hmm. that's the difficult part mm-hmm. in that, you know, and it's all going to be predicated on Kofi in that sense. So. Yeah, we'll see how this team does. But twenty four and seven overall, I think if we can take it back and and rewind to November, if we would have said this team's going to go twenty four and seven and win a Big Ten title, and you would just left it at that, you would have felt really good about where this team and the progress they would have made. You know, to to be at this point, it's mm-hmm. a disappointing ending. I get it. For me, it's more about the journey than the end result. In the NCAA tournament, anything can happen. And especially this year when oh nine Big gosh. Ten teams get in and only one makes it to the yeah. Sweet 16, and that's Michigan. That's the one I didn't think was going to make it to the I Sweet 16. I didn't either. I thought that would be the team that maybe gets bounced as well, mm-hmm. and we'll see if Livers can come back. I haven't seen anything on him, whether he's out for the rest of the NCAA tournament or not. But they get past the first weekend without Isaiah Livers, and they're as dangerous as any team you know, in that nine from the Big Ten that I thought would have been there. But the – Tournament's been owned by the Pac-12, so here we are. You just never know. And, and we Oral never Roberts. Said, right? Like, who would have thought Oral Roberts would have been there? But that's what makes March so magical. It also is what makes it so frustrating. So yeah. I hope fans can at least have some sort of perspective on, like, hey, this was a really, really successful season, and it didn't end like you wanted it to. But hopefully it set the bar for what's to come. Yeah. Upsets happen in March. Right. It's just – can't hate the player, hate the game, right? <laughs> Marley, dropping it. Like All right, Andy, anything else? Uh, just that Ayatusumu was just named a finalist for the Wooden Award. All right, that just go. came into the email, so you probably have already oh. seen it by the time you're listening. Yeah, and right. both him and uh, Coburn on the All-America, Wooden Award All-American team. I believe that's about 10 players on that one. All so right. congratulations like to those guys. Yeah. Marley, anything else? No, I think... That's it for me. 
a historic season, nonetheless. It was fun to cover. It was. I totaled, totaled it up. We were at all but four games this year. Yeah, which says a lot considering all of the restrictions and, mm-hmm. you know, traveling right. that we couldn't do that we would have been able to do in we years past. We didn't go to Rutgers or Penn State on that East Coast swing. Mm-hmm. And we weren't allowed in at Duke, no media there, and we weren't allowed into the Baylor. Baylor. Game. Every other game we went to this year, minus the pretty remarkable two NCAA we tournament game. We were there. Yeah, you were there. You were the there. You were enough. <laughs> close enough. Yeah, we you, made the trip. Uh, we that okay. That you, counts. You pulled the me at the NCAA tournament. Watch from the car. Yeah, that's exactly right. So <laughs> there should be Big Ten tournament. Yeah. It is what it is. Uh, we were happy to cover it in the history that was made this year because mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. I will look back on this year and remember all the COVID and weirdness yeah. of being at games with no fans or very limited fans, the uncertainty at times of if the games were going to be played. And that was more true in football than basketball. I don't think we had anything in basketball other than the UT Martin game in December mm-hmm. where it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was canceled. But just the Zoom weirdness. Ugh. Here's to Ugh. raising a glass, guys, to getting back that later this year. We can get back with fans in the stands, the environments. Andy doesn't even know that the pressure of shooting on the floor, being live, post game. Uh, the legroom was so nice this year, though. It we got was, to I'll tell you that. <laughs> so normally we're on the court there, and there's 12 photographers right on the baseline, and you're like all some people behind up. you, oh, yeah. sweating on you. Oh, it's man. great, but it's great, yeah. But it's, <laughs> The band, like, oh, yeah, right behind you. Everything else, the energy of the building and yeah. all of that. This year, we were just spread out, sitting in the stands, yeah. multiple. You could put your legs up, mm-hmm. you know, have your laptop there working next to you, tripod, yeah. all that. It was pretty easy. I miss, like, the fear of doing a live shot on the court and having your back to the court and wondering, like, oh, am I, like, are they going to get this rebound or yeah. are, is, am I going to get hit in the, the face by basketball? Yeah. I'm more worried about the camera at that point. Wild basketball. Yeah. Well, you would you would lessen uh, the blow. It would hit you first before <laughs> it. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Man. Hopefully we it. will get back. Hey, but we're that. a step towards it. I mean, the oh, state absolutely. of Illinois is, you know, allowing get the shot. fans, but we'll the see. Vaccine. Got my appointment soon. So. All right. Me too. Andy's already one done. So one down. Halfway let's, there. Uh, let's get it all shot up. Feeling invincible. Be ready. To Ice roll. in my veins. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy, the closer here. All right. <laughs> for Marley and Andy, I'm Brett. Thanks so much for listening. It's been a fun ride this year, both on air, on our pregame shows. Thanks to Derek Piper for all his work on that, and also on this podcast. It's been fun to recap it all. Yeah. Can't wait to do it again next year. We'll continue the podcast. We'll try and do one every week. I think it'd be good. Yeah, uh, like we did when we started the podcast last yeah. year. A little different feel now, right? When we had like nothing to talk about, yes. we're just like, oh, look at my Zoom background, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what is Zoom? <laughs> we figured it out. We've gotten to this point, but it's good. High school football in full swing. The Illinois baseball, Illinois softball, and there's always going to be something to talk about with Illinois basketball. I'm not saying spring football as well. Oh, so. Yeah. Until next time on the WCIA 3-in-1 podcast.